praise my Lord for who you are and what you've done I thank you for your mercy, your love and your sacrifice my Lord and I pray my God that this night you give me the words to say and the attitude to say it in Lord God as we come around your word to learn something to take something in for ourselves I pray my God that you feed us feed us from your word my Lord thank you my Jesus for who you are my Lord come minister to your church this night so we carry on as it was with what Johnny preached uh, the last few meetings. I think he's done three in a trot, but Johnny's... Um, this is where Paul gets arrested and people don't know what to do with him. He's locked up. For the people that's got him locked up are Romans. They don't know that... They can't charge him or nothing, but to please the Jewish people around, they're trying to keep, like, show face, they're trying to say, like, we're doing a good thing here. So we're keeping him locked up. And that's basically what's going on. There we got, last week there was a man called Felix. Felix was only in for um, a few years. I think he was there for two years. And then we have a new man who's called um, Festus. Festus. Festus is coming. Festus is a man who's 70 years of age. Who is a He's an old man for that time, but he's, he's, this man Festus, he's come in and there he's taking charge of the place in the north, Caesarea. That's where he's at. He's in the north of the country. So chapter 25, verse 1, is what it says. It says, Now three days after, Felix, uh, after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favour against Paul, that they might summon him to Jerusalem, because they were planning to ambush and kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept in Caesarea, and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So he said, let the men of authority among you go down with me and if there is any anything wrong about the man let him let them bring them char- the charges against him now think about this for a second there's a new governor that's coming he's in the north of the country he takes care of things he's going to be a wealthy man a man of the authority and a man of province if you like he's he's got dealings he's got money He's been put in charge by Rome and he's, he's at this place and he's looking after things. He's running places, running things, dealing with money all the time. They're having trade, armies. This man's in authority. He goes to Jerusalem, gets into Jerusalem, goes amongst the, the chief priests and the, the people of power in Jerusalem. They want to have a, a word and they ask them for a favour. 
well, why was this so important to them? I never asked them, like, could you send a few quid down or could you help us out? Could there be a drop of water for us or could you bring a bit of food? Could you, can we have a deal? Could you get, show us a bit of favour? Can we have a bit of a... Um, can you show that you're a good man and give us what we're asking for? And when you imagine or when you can think a man in a high place with high power, of all the things that he could have given, what did they want as a favour? Kill Paul. Think about that. What, 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 did Paul, what, what was he suspicious? What was, what was going on that was suspicious about Paul? Paul's message really changed the world. He was the one that went to, to, to modern day Europe. He was the one that preached in most of the places throughout the Old Testament. He was the one that done that. Set up the gospel and preached it and, and people was getting saved. Jewish people, Gentiles, people getting saved one after the other. So what did they want as a favour? Not money, not gold, not silver, not looking after, not speak to Rome on their behalf. Kill Paul. Just think about that. How corrupt was these people? If you've got the truth, no matter what anybody else is saying, you, could, you will always have the truth. These men feared what Paul was saying. Why did they fear it? They knew it was true. Why did they know it was true? Because they was there. They seen the things that took place. They seen the followers of Jesus. They was around at that point at that time. Remember way back, there was 40 men that said, we won't eat until Paul dies. Well, Paul's been locked up for two years. I wonder how many of them broke net. As a fast, we're not going to eat nothing until he's dead. Well, you know what happened? It's two years, they're either dead or they've broke their fast than it. And then these men, these men, it, it, these Jewish men of prominence, yes, we'll come with you and we'll show you where Paul's wrong and that he wants to beat him and kill him. But what do they want to do? They want to set a trap. They don't want to be like, look, give him to us, we're going to sort him out. They said, will you fetch him down? They want to ambush him. They want to lay in wait, send a guard in wait, and kill Paul on the sly. They don't want to give him a fair trial. They don't want to speak to Paul and like, try and work it out. They don't want to do that. What do they want to do? Wipe him out. Kill him. Get rid of him. What a sly way about going about doing it. If these people, if these people at this time, the Jewish people, the priests, everybody there, these people of note, why did they want Paul killed so much? If they've got the truth, why did they want to kill him? It was unlawful for them to kill him. It was wrong for them to do it. What was going on there? They knew that Paul had the truth. And they was propping up their religion. That was the difference. Why? Not that they want to bring him in and have a chat and try and convince him or have an argument, have a debate. No. Fetch him on that road so we can lay him wait, jump up, I'm imagining they're going to shoot him or do something, but I don't know how they was going to kill him, but they was going to kill him. Like, it makes no sense, does it? What do I want to kill this man for? He's locked up for two years. Verse um, 6, it says, after he, after he stayed among them, not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought 
When they had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him. So they brought him in, and they stood around him and told him all about himself, bringing serious charges. So they're all in a circle, and there's one man on his own. And the Jewish people, well, um, I think the Romans have Paul being a short man with bushy eyebrows, a big nose, and runny eyes. So not a man to be feared, not a great big giant of a man who was as strong as an ox, a little small man who had a big nose, bushy eyebrows and runny eyes. That's what they said, like he had a complaint, his eyes kept running. <laughs> Paul later on had a problem with his eyes. He when he wrote um, oh, one of the letters, he says, see, you've got to write this with my own hands, like what large letter he was using to do it. So he had an eye problem. And these, these, this little short man... He stood by all these Jewish people. Now they're bringing accusations, serious accusations. Accusations that warrant death. And they're standing around him and barking at him. What, this little short man? Why? It says, uh, And the next day they took their seat in the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When they had arrived, the Jews who come down from Jerusalem stood around him bringing many serious charges against him that they could not prove. What a little verse, mate. What a little change in that verse. Bringing many serious charges. None of them they could prove. Right. They're bringing serious charges. Paul, you chewed me motor. Is that your motor right there, Charles? Yeah. You couldn't prove it. They had nothing to say. There's nothing to prove. All the evidence in all the world, there's loads of them. Paul, you've done this and you've done that. Serious charges. You're causing discord, you're doing this. You've got serious charges. And Paul's just standing there going, prove it. All the accusations that they could give, they couldn't prove not one. All the accusations. Now let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. We shouldn't fear accusations. We shouldn't. People do say a lot of things. And if... Well, let me get his name right. Felix. No, Festus. I read it wrong. Festus. If they'd have had these charges and he could have done something, he would have had him him killed. uh, He would have got Paul killed. There was no accusation that they could bring. If he was the type of man, any sort of man, if any one of them stuck, he would have believed. But I thank God that he wasn't kind of the man that say, well, there's no smoke without fire. How many of you have said that? That's not always true, neither. Do you know that's not always true? If someone says that about you, that's not always true, is it? Oh, you like this and like that? Oh... Oh, yeah, there's no smoke without fire. So someone can bring an accusation and you, someone can say it by watering it down. No smoke without This man never said that. They, were, they brought all the accusations that they could bring. If he had said, well, there's no smoke without fire, he's surely done something. There was nothing. They brought all the accusations that they could give, but there was nothing that could be proved. And that is why, brothers and sisters, that if we bring an accusation against somebody else, it has to be of merit. 
It has to be, I saw him do it, there it is. It must be on the witness of one or two, uh, two or three, especially to bring something against an elder of a church, a pastor of a church. Many people make accusations, but unless it's done by two or three, then you stand up like, all right, you've seen me somewhere choring something. Can you, do you understand that if they would have believed smoke without fire, they would bring in a load of accusations, there must be some truth in it. There was no truth in this. And some of us judge too harshly or too quickly. You hear a rumour, you hear something, you say, oh yeah, I've always thought, oh yeah, there's not only smoke without fire in that. That's not always true. It's not always true. It can be, but it don't have to be. Because this was Paul that brought all the accusations... Not one of them had anything that they could say, yes, he's definitely did it. Um, they could not prove, not none of them. Verse 8. Paul argued in his defence, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, and nor against Caesar, that I commit any offence. Paul is saying here, I've done nothing wrong. To the Jewish people, I haven't broken one of their laws. To the temple, on the temple, around the temple, or in the temple, I haven't broken none of them. I haven't broken no laws. No Roman laws, no Jewish laws. Nobody can be upset with me. I ain't done nothing wrong, nothing whatsoever. If I have, prove it. Show me where it's wrong. Paul's conscience is clear here. And he says, I, there is no charges that you can bring against me that's going to stand, because I have done nothing wrong. It's, uh, verse 9, it says, But Fest, Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favour, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem, uh, that they may try, try on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar, the tribunal, where I ought to be tried, to the Jews I have done nothing wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer, and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to the charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar, then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Now, what's going on here is that he's, he's saying, do you want to go back to Jerusalem and we'll charge you there? Paul, by the wisdom of God that has given him, knows that if he gets on that road to Jerusalem, what's going to happen to him? He's going to get killed. So Paul knows that if he gets on that road, he ain't getting a fair trial, he's going to get killed. And even if he goes into Jerusalem, they're going to, the, the, the chief priest, the high priest, everybody around is just going to rise up against them and want to kill him anyway. He's not getting a fair crack of the whip. That word tribunal meant a court case, that's what it was. The highest place for someone to go as a Roman citizen is to appeal your case before Caesar. And if you as a Roman citizen... You was able to appeal your case and say, I want to go before Caesar. I want to go before his council. They had to take you. In, this, in England today, you have different courts, don't you? You have the magistrate court, you have crown court. 
I know the other corpse is the only two I know. I'll tell you what happened to me. I sold a motor once. Sold a motor. And the fella used it. I sold it to a motor dealer. And he used it driving up and down. Now he had a trade insurance. That's what he had. And because he was using it driving up and down. He never took it out of. Uh, I put it in the dealer's name. He never took it out of that. So the court found. Or the DVLA found me guilty. Of driving without no insurance. Or having a motor with no insurance. I sold it. So I sp- it, the letters come through, there was a £360 fine, and it said on there, there's a £365 fine, or you can appeal it. So I went to the chavvy, I said to, went to the chavvy, and he said, look, we'll appeal that, just appeal it, and I'll show my trader's insurance, it'll be no problem, it'll all go away. Oh, all right, and appeal it. I never had a clue. Do you know what happens when you appeal a magistrate court? You go straight to Crown. I had to go to Crown Court, because... Of a, an insur- I would have been, it would have been better for me to have paid the, uh, the, the 360 pound. I didn't want to pay it, my own greed, I suppose. Then I had to go to Crown Court. And thank the Lord, I got, the judge saw it, I had the paperwork and got off with it. But that's what, Caesar's, uh, that's what Paul's doing here. He's getting tried with, with, like the magistrate court, and there he's saying, don't send me back to Jerusalem, I'll go to Caesar. But God has already told him that's where he's going to go. You're going to go to Rome. You're going to, you're, going to, you're going to appeal. This is a part of the plan of God for Paul's life. Every person that he gets to, he witnesses. Roman soldiers tells them about the Lord, they get saved. People in prison get saved. People in the house, they, they, the people that he witnesses to. Every person, God used this and, and, and he used it in such a way. Think about this in Paul's life. Paul's a prisoner. Can't go nowhere. Can't go and visit the church. So what does Paul do? He writes the letters to the Corinthian church. To the Ephesian church. To the Corinthian church. Paul writes letters in prison. In God's master planning all of that, if Paul was set free, Paul would have probably went there face to face. Because he never went there face to face, we got the New Testament. That was a part of God's plan for Paul to be locked up. It was a part of God's plan for him to go to this place. Part of his plan to sit in a a gloomy dungeon, bring his paperwork so he could write letters to sort problems out. Why? So that we, as the New New Testament church, would have his letters that we could base our doctrine on, our Christianity on. What a plan. God's master, Paul, you're going to go to Rome. I want you to preach the word of God right out through all the world what I want you to do. This was a part of it. So he appeals and he says, I'm going to go to Caesar. It's the highest court that I can go to. That's where I'm off. So that's where he starts to go. And then, in verse 19, it says, Now some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived in Caesarea (coughs) and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left in prison by Felix, and that when I was in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not custom 
of the Romans to give anyone before the accusers met their accusers face to face and had the opportunity to make a defence concerning the charges against him. So when they had come together, I had made no delay, but on the next day took the, took the seat on the tribunal and ordered the men to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charges in, in his case of such evils as I supposed, rather than a certain point of dispute with them about their own religions and about a certain Jesus who was dead but whom Paul assured to be alive. Hold up, hold up, one little minute. Here we have the reason. Here we have this is the reason of the argument. Paul, you've got to die. Why? Jesus is alive. They're saying Jesus was dead. With common sense, think about this. Common sense tells you. If Jesus is dead, what's the argument? What can a dead man do? Jesus is dead, what's the problem? What are they arguing then? He's dead. Jesus is dead here. So all the... The, the, the Jews, the high priests, the leaders, their argument to Felix, sorry, Festus, their argument to Festus is, he says Jesus is alive and we say he's dead. Oh, brothers and sisters, do you not see what's going on here? They won't accept. They have seen it. They have seen and witnessed it. They don't want nobody to... Jesus is dead. This is what they're saying. Jesus is dead. Jesus is dead. Well, if he's dead, what are you arguing with Paul for? If he's dead, what's the argument? Surely Festus is going to say, well, if he's dead, what's, what's the problem? Well, Paul's preaching that he's alive. Well, then... Well, Paul's an utter then, isn't he? What, what, what good's that? Paul is preaching the gospel. And you know what the gospel is? Jesus is alive. Jesus died upon that cruel cross, which they put him to. But three days later, death couldn't hold him in the ground. He rose from death to life. And Paul is affecting the whole world. Everybody, people that's coming to Christ, people that are uh, Jewish people that have had their religion for years, are putting it down and saying, yes, I accept, I can see that Jesus is real. He's preaching the gospel. He's reasoning in the scriptures. What is he reasoning? Jesus died, but he rose again. And Paul is preaching this. Why is he preaching? Not that Jesus is dead, but Jesus is alive. They're locking him up. He's got two years in this prison that nobody can bring an accusation. Paul, what's the matter with you? Why are you here? I preach Jesus is alive. And brothers and sisters, we have brothers and sisters in this world that are locked up because they're saying Jesus is alive. We have people that hate us. For what reason? Because we say Jesus is alive. We have people that come against us. For what reason? Because we say Jesus is alive. This age-old age argument that Paul is facing. People want to believe that Jesus is dead. But what's the problem? If Jesus is in the ground, if Jesus is dead and he's gone, he can't change no one's life. And he certainly changed mine. Jesus is alive and well, and that's what we preach. And if we have to be locked up for it, come take us. He ain't going to change the fact that Jesus is alive. 
Paul is standing. Jesus is alive and he's standing and people all around him bringing accusations. You're a murderer. You bring deceit. You bring dissent. You don't want people. You want to ruin all our Lord. You want to ruin everything that we're doing. And all Paul is saying, Jesus is alive. What a powerful ministry this man had. He's locked up for it. And that's that same old problem that this world has. They want to believe that Jesus is dead, but they can't accept it. Because in their heart of hearts, they know he's alive. This world couldn't continue without Jesus. The only good in me, the only good in this world is that Jesus Christ is alive and well. The greatest love ever shown anybody, that Jesus would die on a cruel cross, but three days later be brought death to life. And whoever, whomsoever, that would call upon him shall be forgiven of their sin. And Paul was preaching this. Christ is alive and well. And these men would have shuddered inside. Like Peter when he preached, I preach Christ whom you crucified. But three days later, God raised him from the dead. Paul's locked up here. And why is he locked up? They're having a dispute. Yeah, Felix and Augustus. Well, what's happened is, he reckons Jesus is alive and they reckon Jesus is dead. So that they want, him, they want to kill Paul over it. Think. What's going on? Jesus is alive. And they can't kill him. They couldn't do it. The world hated it. Can you see the hatred that they have for Jesus? They hated Jesus. Now they hate Paul. What we'll do, we'll get him, we're going to kill him. They want to kill Paul because he says Jesus is alive. Only reason. Trouble is, these people knew it. They even see it. They knew it. Jesus is alive. Rather there was no evil. Rather that they had a certain point of dispute. That their own religion about the certain Jesus who was dead. But who Paul assured to be alive. Being at a loss now to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem, but there, regarding him, but Paul had an appeal to be kept in, in custody for the decision of the emperor, emperor, so that he wants to go to the emperor. I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to uh, Festus, I would like to hear the man himself tomorrow. Said, said he, to you, you will hear him. So they are, he's told him all his problems. By the way, this man Agrippa, you're going to get a lot more next week about him. But Agrippa is the great-grandson of Herod. Herod was famous for wanting to kill babies. He killed babies, didn't he? He, killed, he wanted to kill all the children. Jesus had to escape that. That's that. That was his grandfather. His uncle was the one that killed James, the brother of uh, John. His uncle was the one that arrested Peter and did the, the, the prison gates open and Peter walked out free. This is his family. He's here with his wife. Now, why is strange? Why is it? Why did it name his wife, Bernice? Why was she there? Well, this man, Festus, and Agrippa, are brother-in-laws. They're brother-in-laws. 
One's the king of a small province. Really, the, the, the Herods, they've lost power. The Romans come in and took their power. They're losing power. So he's just got one little bit now. And this, they're calling the king, but he's only a king of a small part. He's not got all of Israel now. He's just got a small part. And this Agrippa and his wife Bernice, who happens to be his half-sister. That's what happens to be. He's lost favour. It was under law, under law by the Romans that he couldn't, he couldn't be married to this woman. By the Jews, he couldn't be married to this woman. She later on leaves him and goes to live with Titus of Aspasian, who comes back and sacks Rome and kills him. Then he, she leaves him and comes back to Agrippa again. It's his half-sister. These people are weird. These people are drenched with sin. They couldn't be more corrupted. And here's this little man, Paul. And in the next chapter, next, next week, you see how this little man makes a gripper shake in his seat for fear of what? He preached Christ. It goes on, and I'm not basically finished here. But they get Paul out and they want to talk. And they said, I've got to send him to, to Rome because he's appeared to go to Caesar. But can we have a little bit of get-together? Because I haven't got a clue what to say his sentence is. They don't know what to say. They've, he's appealed to go to, to, to Rome. And now they've got no accusations to send with him. So Agrippa and Fe- Festus. Keep getting their names wrong. Festus and Agrippa and a few of the others are going to get around to have a conversation to see if they can drum up a charge so they can send him to Rome. Uh, send him to Rome. They ain't got a clue. What's the problem? The man's dead. Paul says he's alive. They don't know where to go with this. Brothers and sisters, think about it. The whole world is turned upside down because Jesus died on a cruel cross. Three days later, he rose from death to life. The whole world. These people fear it. They want to keep their old religions. They want to keep their old traditions, their old family life, their, their traditions, their they what they want to do, all their money, and just go to the to the high priest and give this sheep and or this lamb, and then that does away with your sin. But Jesus Christ was the picture, the the the, the, the lamb, the perfect lamb of God that that dealt with sin once and for all. No longer do we need a temple. Why don't why don't we need a temple? Because we're the living temple. We are it. Christ is now inside us. That's what being born again is. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ turned the world upside down. Paul in chapter 25 was locked up for two years because he preached Christ is alive and well. 2,000 years later, we're still preaching that same message. If Jesus was dead and he couldn't do this, could he? He couldn't do this. Do you think that we as a church, we have the ability to change somebody's life? That somebody could walk in here, an addict, and walk out set free? We, none of us. We can't do none of it. It's because Jesus is alive and well. And I for one can testify that Jesus Christ is alive and well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord God, for who you are and what you've done. I thank you, Lord God, that... My Lord, I thank you for the, the, the example that we've been set here by Paul. 
they're even facing prison and time and certain death and people hating him and despising him. He still remains true to you. My God, I pray for us as a church, my Lord, no matter what comes or goes in these next years, my Lord, in the times, in the future, however hard it gets, my Lord, I pray, my God, that we would have the resilience of this, my Lord, no matter what comes or goes, that we'd be able to stand up and preach Christ crucified. I thank you, Lord, that you're the same yesterday, today and forever. And Lord God, that you're, you're, that you're gracious to us. And my Lord, I pray, my God, that you'd help us keep our faith in you. Amen. Is there any questions?